The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Oh, happy days. I'm back in the studio with the excellent Karen Cho. Uh, it's Tuesday, I believe, and this is Squawkbox and these are your headlines. So Chinese equities just falling back from a one-month high after services data disappoints with the Kaishin PMI at the lowest level in eight months. Embattled Chinese property developer Country Garden reportedly wires money to creditors for payments on two US dollar bonds due today, staving off what would have been its first default. Nova Nordisk officially overtakes LVMH to become Europe's most valuable company as the Danish drug maker announces its blockbuster weight loss drug will now be available in the UK. Xpeng announces plans to expand into Germany as Chinese automakers continue to dominate discussions at the IAA Motor Show. The firm's president, Brian Gu, tells CNBC the move is about prestige. Germany is the most important and the highest standard market for all you know, any you know, uh, OEMs. And to be able to be here and then really make our, pro- make our product available to the customers in this market really will help us further penetrate the continental European market. Lovely to see you, how are you? Welcome back. Yes, I would have come back wonderfully refreshed with a nice early afternoon flight if it hadn't been for a certain British national flag carrier absolutely ruining uh, my return journey home yet again. But there you go. Well, it was the perfect trip on the ground, though. Well, bless you. Good Thank weather, you very much. Great indeed. coverage. It really was. And people assume that Como always has wonderful weather in September. Well, it doesn't for anyone who's been there. You can have some quite tempestuous weather. But this time around, I have to say, it was absolutely perfect. But we can assume good food, though. The uh, Italians laid on the, the top cuisine for you. I've already shown you the desserts table. <laughs> it was quite extraordinary. Anyway, Chinese service uh, sector activity expanded at the slowest pace in eight months in August, with the Kaishin PMI coming in at 51.8. This amid persistently weak demand in the world's second largest economy, despite recent stimulus measures aimed at boosting consumption. Composite PMI also edged lower to 51.7. Let's get to Sam, who has all the details for us. Lovely to see you, Sam. Thank you. Lovely to see you as well, Steve. Very good morning to you. And 51.8, we're still above the boom or bust line, so that's good news, but it is very much the overall trend that seems to be a concern here because, of course, you do have the authorities over in China wanting to certainly rely and lean on domestic demand right now to mitigate some of those softer exports, but we have seen services sector activity coming off, and today was just further confirmation that we are certainly seeing a downtrend when it comes to this sector. So, of course, today, looking at the smaller and private firms over in China, which had remained fairly resilient uh, throughout the year. Things had been holding up quite well because of all that revenge spending. Of course, we've seen a comeback in travel and tourism. That's been really good for some of the catering companies, of course, accommodation, some of the airlines, etc. But really, this data today confirms that uh, certainly uh, we are starting to see some of that fade, uh, despite the fact that August was still capturing that summer holiday demand. Things look pretty good at the box office. We still continue 
continue to see people travelling around. Um, so no doubt this will be something that authorities will be taking uh, note of. Um, so in terms of the survey today, uh, what we saw was that it was really new orders that continued to soften and not helped by foreign demand, actually. What that's telling us is that um, the demand story over in China domestically is not enough to offset what we're seeing overseas, like we saw with some of the manufacturing uh, PMI. Um, good news that was uh, input prices actually came off, but uh, in terms of pricing power, um, things were still a bit tough when it comes to uh, some of the competition. Um, the employment gauge ticked up. That's good news because um, this sector, of course, making up for around 60% of China's economy. It is a very big generator of jobs. So that comes at a time when, of course, we are seeing the authorities trying to stabilize the labor market. Um, but certainly it just wasn't enough to uh, sort of lift broader sentiment because business confidence in terms of the 12-month outlook, uh, it is a nine-month low. That takes us back to before China actually dismantled those very harsh COVID curbs. So that's how some of these businesses are feeling right now. The authorities are pulling out all the stops. We've seen that over the last week. They've been trying to roll out more measures, certainly in terms of easing mortgage policies, um, also trying to, of course, lower some of those deposit rates to get people to go out and spend their money. They've been trying to help out the stock market as well. We've even seen some moves to defend the currency. Um, all that seemed to be uh, certainly, um, I suppose, reviving some of that confidence in the markets. Actually, stocks were um, having their best day in more than a month yesterday, but we've certainly seen that sentiment starting to fade off the back of this disappointing data, uh, certainly in line with the overall trend that we're seeing um, when you look at Asian equities uh, today. Um, but uh, also, as you know, a lot of the analysts have been warning that perhaps um, some of the stimulus measures that we've seen um, in terms of lowering some of those um, borrowing costs, uh, etc., it's just not going to go far enough to uh, certainly fix some of the confidence or the lack of confidence uh, in the market, uh, certainly in the economy as well, um, in terms of that uh, malaise. Um, interesting in terms of what we're seeing with the services sector as well, um, given that just a few days ago you had President Xi Jinping coming out saying that uh, he would be uh, looking to widen some of that market access for the services sector to try to work with um, other countries to uh, make it more an inclusive environment. But even that, analysts say they have a, a bit of a, a worry about because uh, what might be a bit challenging is some of these domestic standards versus international norms in trying to do that. So um, no doubt in terms of the overall trend with evidence now that the services sector is coming off, uh, we will need to say more stabilisation in manufacturing in order to, to help growth moving forward in the second half. And certainly those uh, support measures will be key in terms of the implementation moving forward, guys. Back to you. Sam, thank you very much for running us through the detail around the Chinese numbers. And I can just pick up and take you to the stock market action, the services activity, the fall that we've seen impacting the stock market again, uh, six tenths down, Hong Kong market also in reverse. What we've seen out of the region, the Australian Central Bank also key today, leaving rates on hold at 4.1% for a third month. Uh, a lot on the marketplace, uh, the reaction seems to suggest that perhaps rates have peaked at this point. But uh, of course, uh, the Central Central Bank still watching the inflation story. The Australian market are travelling weaker today by about a third of a percent. Japanese stocks are the only patch of green here. As you can see, very slim amount to the upside. As for the dollar, well, the Australian dollar on the back foot, uh, dollar as a result.
result, uh, what we're seeing at this stage is on the front foot, uh, except for some of the major currencies here in Europe. Sterling managing to pick up a little bit of territory, 126.26 versus Greenback, although Euro is slightly weaker. As you can see, morning session below the 108 handle, dollar firmer versus the Japanese yen and also versus the yuan. To the commodities complex, WTI Brent in trade, about half of a percent stronger on WTI, a little bit weaker on Brent. So mixed picture on those oil trades this morning, just shy of the 89 handle for Brent. When it comes to the opening calls in Europe, as we get set up for trade this morning, we're chasing more red arrows, a little bit of weakness cropping up yesterday. We saw a, f a slide on the FTSE and uh, the French market down by about a quarter of one percent. Don't forget the US was out of action yesterday for Labor Day, so not giving us any uh, real direction in that session. And uh, US futures this morning, as we count down to the session, you can see also somewhat cautious. We did see uh, again for the Dow Friday session, just to, to recap, uh, up about a third of a percent, although we did see fairly slim ranges on the Nasdaq. So we're looking for the market to pick up uh, on the back of that data, the jobs report Friday, which was uh, somewhat of a Goldilocks report, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I, I hear that's what everyone's saying. 187,000 up, yeah. so more yeah. than the 170,000 yeah. anticipated. Yeah. The um, average hourly earnings up 0.2%. Are you having an issue with, with that part? I don't think they're Goldilocks. I know that everyone's saying it's Goldilocks. I think it's still hot. 187 is too hot versus 150. I think the, the number of jobs in America and the number of and the unemployment rate is still hot. And I think people are creating a narrative saying it's Goldilocks because it's come down. It is still stunningly hot. Look at the historic levels of the overall unemployment rate, and it's fantastic. I'm not saying I want people to lose their jobs. Quite the opposite. It's fantastic. But we're nowhere near the kind of key metrics on inflation and at the same time when the US economy has accelerated in the third quarter, we could have an annualized figure of nearly 4%. That's going to be more really than what the Chinese are probably on. I think that sounds hot to me. I'm hearing Every you. bit of data I see that's amazing in America and great. I'm pleased that the American economy is doing well. And, and just that one fact that I kind of kept on going on about with the European response to technology and green initiatives. IRA was supposed to bring in roughly $300 billion. If it's bringing in three to four times that much already, isn't that mildly inflationary? Yeah, the fiscal uh, input uh, is definitely invest, a factor in terms you, of stimulating the economy. You thought that $300 billion of stimulus was going to happen, and all of a sudden, the Biden administration has turned that into $1.2 trillion. Now, one side, that's great. It's sucking in capital left, right and centre. But where are the project managers for all those amazing new projects? Where are the employees for all those amazing... Where are the trained engineers and technologists out there for those projects surely it's just like when we saw shale yeah shale was an amazing thing for vast parts of you know texas and dakota and what have you but the fact is the inflationary impact on the truck drivers on the engineers on the oil executive was enormous and, and great i'm really excited about ira and what europe could do in response and what the world could do in response but but it's inflationary surely so there's a bit of rearview mirror versus what's ahead and there is a reality that the fiscal stimulus and the back of all the COVID payments and everything else throughout the system has been inflationary. But at this point, we're seeing inflation come down despite some of the spending. So there is a view that perhaps it's not inflationary anymore, come given the reversal that we've seen inflation. Come down to just kind of double the levels where it should be. Well, we're back down, what, three odd percent, uh, roughly the, the headline number. Depends which measure. Yeah, but I think one of the other points around the Goldilocks scenario around the jobs market was that the unemployment rate did go up. And with the 
just thinking about a monthly change, not quarterly here, uh, this monthly level from 3.5 to 3.8%. If you continue on that vein, you start to get the unemployment rate moving higher from here. So that is a, a change. And I think if you look at the narrative in the last few weeks, there was a view that, look, we keep hearing on these headlines about job losses, but it's not really having an impact on the actual data. No, I hear what you're saying. So I, I just wonder if we're being sold a Goldilocks pup, I must be honest. I don't know what a Goldilocks pup looks like, but it's probably a very expensive golden retriever. It's something that would be a crossover with a bear, I think. So like, you know, wolf hybrid, but a bear version and a dog community. Anyway, now, Country Garden has reportedly wired money to creditors for interest payments on two US dollar bonds that were reaching the end of their grace period today. That's according to Reuters, which cited a source close to the company. The group also offered to extend repayments on eight onshore bonds by three years. This comes after the embattled Chinese developer agreed to an extension to a 3.9 billion yuan private bond late last week, which effectively helped it to avoid an onshore debt default. Wei Yao joins us now, Head of Research and Chief Economist for APAC at SOCGEN. Thank you very much uh, for stepping into uh, the chair today to speak to us because the market at this stage has seen a lot of tweaking from China, from the mainland market, but uh, we continue to see the soft data roll on. And this time it's again on the services activity numbers. What do you make of the, the health of the services sector in China? Well, the services have been the resilient part of the economy thanks to you know all these pent-up demand for you know the consumer uh, activity. However, it's clear that looking at both the Taishin and official services readings, you know, uh, things are losing a bit of momentum there, which actually makes it even more important for the government to come in and cushion the housing because you know right now the biggest concern with the economy is absolutely the housing sector. I want to get into some of the big property moves too, uh, very targeted measures for some young people. These are first-time buyers in the market that they get preferential treatment on their loans. They can go and renegotiate with the bank. So it seems very specific that the type of stimulus we're seeing at this point. Also some measures around Country Garden to extend out those repayments on, on bonds. What do you make of uh, the impact on confidence for the property sector? Because it feels as though confidence has very much been depleted by the endless issues across the sector and of course what uh, the overall economy has been doing? The confidence side will still take a long time to build, I think, because there it's not just cyclical problem. There are also structural issues, you know, the housing uh, oversupply in, in, in a lot of small cities. Then you have uh, households finally realizing housing prices actually can go down, not just going up. Um, but I think the government's recent batch of the measures for housing uh, are looking more promising in terms of cushioning the sector, uh, help the sector to stabilize before the year end. Of course, if housing sales can stabilize, then the growth, overall growth has a much better chance to stabilize. So uh, even though they continue to pursue this very incremental approach, but the cumulated impact of all these incremental approaches, I think are looking, um, looking more promising in the short term, at least. But the long term picture doesn't change that. China, you know, housing would not be an important part of engine for China's growth for, for long. Lovely to see you say, look, not for the first time, I'm completely confused. Um, if the world's geniuses and economists completely wrong them when they say we need a big bang approach from the Chinese Communist Party, from the leadership under Mr. Xi as well, because you're saying things are looking better potentially already from here, in which case all those experts who come on this channel and talk to Karen and I, who've said we need a big bang approach from the government, we need enormous fiscal stimulus. From, from what I'm, I'm listening to you, I'm hearing that actually we don't need that because things are improving. 
I would think it depends on what do you want China's growth to be, right? If it's we're talking about big recovery, sustained recovery for China to get out deflation and everything, we're not gonna get any any policy like that from China to address to lead to that outcome in the short term. But if we're talking about to prevent a further sharp crash in the housing sector, we're talking about prevent a Lehman crisis. Yes, I think the the, the approach they're pursuing is exactly for that. Is, is a very short-term stabilization and then take several years to address the debt problem, right? So it depends on the, the expectation here. And with regards to the big stimulus, is that they are not able to do it because the, the big stimulus in the past is exactly why they're in all this trouble of housing the infrastructure problem today. So I think they're aware that it's not the approach to go, go for anymore. And that, that's great. Thank you. I have a question for you, which I wonder if you're being asked by your teams and by the clients for Societe Generale out there as well, is the global effect seems so limited so far. The effect on global emerging markets, the effect on other markets. I remember times when an ATM not working in Cyprus caused a global ripple, whereas the world's biggest growing economy of the last century, of this century, having a, a big stutter, doesn't seem to be affecting other nations and other markets as well. So are we underestimating the ripple effects from this slowdown in China? Um, this is a really intriguing question indeed. You know, the, the reason we find is probably that, you know, thanks to this approach of Chinese government, as in they don't they have no pressure to do fast leveraging. So there is no big financial crisis coming for China, not because the problem is not serious, simply because they, the government has so much so much control over the price discovery uh, process in the economy. So you don't get fast moving crisis. And when you look at all the spillover analysis from everybody, the bigger uh, shock always comes from financial spillovers and confidence shock. But China right now only have economic activity shock. And a lot of it has already happened. So, which means, you know, that limits the, the shock to the other countries as well. So the other countries also have time to adjust. You know, also you have new demand from new trends like AI for Korea and Taiwan, like China plus one, you know, strategy, uh, global value chain reshuffling for ASEAN and India. Then, you know, net net, then it doesn't look too bad. Can I ask you about excess being built up in some parts of the economy because there has been fears of all the, the bridges built in nowhere over the past, but now there is a feeling that perhaps this is just taking place in a different area of the economy or is that the party, Communist Party, is keen to stimulate? And there was a report over the weekend in the FT talking about battery production, for instance, that there's an, an excess of production now being built up in the Chinese market because all these players are so keen to tap the stimulus party wants to see these areas of growth anyway. Do you see excess being built up in the new economy? Well, it's possible when you have a state-driven approach to support some sector, uh, i.e. versus a complete market-driven approach, it's more likely to build excess. Um, however, right now, I think this is sort of kind of using new sector demand to, um, to offset the shock from the old sector, as in construction and housing. So it's sort of like a buying time for them to address the debt legacy issue. So, yeah, so that's that's quite common, actually, with, with their policy. Um, yes, intriguing questions indeed. Lovely to see you today. We do appreciate your time. And thank you very much indeed for your research ahead of this interview as well. Wei Yao, Head of Research and Chief Economist for APAC at Societe Generale.
Meanwhile, the Reserve Bank of Australia has left its cash rate unchanged at 4.1% as it assesses the impact of previous rate rises. Yes, the wonderful lagged and cumulative. But warned further tightening may be required as it tries to bring inflation down to target. Today's decision is the third month the central bank has kept its policy rate on hold. Talking of central bankers, do not miss our exclusive interview with the Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller. That is coming up later today on uh, Squawkbox US. It's almost as good as this Squawkbox, actually. Uh, 1430 CET. Uh, it's just as good in many ways. Uh, coming up on the show, Wagovi. Well, we're hearing a lot about Wagovi. Uh, semaglutide. Learning about the active ingredients, I am. Uh, Wagovi in the money. Uh, Danish pharma giant Nova Nordisk officially knocking LVMH off its perch as Europe's most valuable company amid strong demand for its blockbuster weight loss treatment. Plus, Xpeng revving up its European presence, announcing plans to expand into Britain, Germany and France. We'll bring you Arjun's conversation with the company's president, Brian Gu, later this hour. And do not miss our interview with the Enquest CEO, Amjad Zezu, uh, as the energy firm reports its numbers for the first half. That is a first on CNBC conversation at 9.30 Central European time. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Shares of L'Occitane are sinking in Hong Kong today. About a quarter of the value of the stock has been wiped out after the company's chairman said he was ending discussions to take the firm private. An exchange filing on Monday failed to provide reasons for the decision. Nova Nordisk has officially overtaken LVMH as Europe's largest company by market cap. Shares in the Danish pharmaceutical group have skyrocketed since launching its anti-obesity drug Wegovy in the US in 2021. Just yesterday, it made its highly sought-after drug available here in the UK as part of a controlled and limited launch, marking its second major European market. The success of the drug has seen the value of the company's shares more than quadruple since 2018, gaining 41% this year alone. Uh, incredible market, isn't it? Uh, we've seen uh, this particular weight loss and uh, diabetes uh, market reach an estimated value of about 130 billion to 140 billion in annual sales worldwide. Uh, that's uh, the value that uh, analysts are forecasting. For the company itself, the sales seen about 6 billion and expected to rise to about 15 billion by 2027. So huge uh, weightlifting coming through on the, the revenue side. Look, it's great. It's great for so many people who are suffering such awful conditions. Um, and I don't blame the people at all for their situation. I know some people uh, want to shame people for their medical um, issues, which they say, oh, it's all about willpower. It's not about willpower. It, uh, it's nothing to do with that. And as science has proven, we have gen genes which have go back many thousands of years, which mean we are susceptible to certain kinds of foods and things. Well, I, I, and I think it's great. We're Govi, as M Pick or what have you. 
as long as they're administered safely, um, you know, the active uh, ingredient uh, semaglutide, it, it, it's just an amazing discovery and, and it's, it's going to offer a lot of relief to a lot of people on a whole host of illnesses, not just weight loss, but diabetes, uh, a lot of the cancers associated with weight issues as well. But I, I just want to go back a, a stage and having done enormous amounts of research onto nutrition and to the science behind it, I'm not talking about some strange kind of um, tangent as well. Let's be honest about it. The reason why we have so many Western diseases, which include diabetes, heart disease, cancer, obesity, is because of our Western diet. It's because of the SAD, the standard American diet, and what, how that's been adapted um, by the food companies. Um, and so, you know, we all know that most of this problem is because of ultra-processed foods. Uh, and I just think it's real, it's fantastic that there are drugs like this now to potentially relieve the symptoms for a lot of people. But it doesn't matter if you're a vegan, a vegetarian, or, or, or a, a, a paleo, a meat eater. You can have a very, very healthy diet which doesn't create these conditions. Our problem in the West now, and I'm just going back a stage because I've done a lot of work on this and we're talking about food supply changes, is that too many people are eating ultra-processed food uh, and, we can't, and we're marketed this stuff and it's easier to buy and it's cheaper to buy in these very, very difficult times for people. That is where the real problem lies. That's fascinating. So you're questioning whether the underlying um, uh, diseases that we're talking about here that can be caused, like cancer for instance, heart disease, whether they go away with uh, weight loss well, by taking a pill. Not so much weight loss, but kind of just changing our diet. Yeah. The, you, the, the, the huge studies out there, I mean huge studies, peer-reviewed studies, and look at the, the, the Chinese studies in the 70s, there. diseases that never exist. When you take on a Western diet containing a lot of sugar and a lot of ultra-processed food, that's where these, these illnesses didn't ex don't exist in populations that don't have ultra-processed food. See, this is interesting because the cost to the NHS of a year 6 from preventing, yeah, right, 6.5 billion. And the rest. And then if you look at the, the cost of the, this listed uh, price, what, 175.8 pounds per pack of uh, 2.4 mg of doses so yeah. that's a very high cost it seems almost justifiable if you can reduce that 6.5 billion pound figure but if you can't if it's just an extra cost on top oh and people criticize me they say we live in a libertarian world we can't tell people what to eat people have to make their own decisions as well but when they are forced to eat a certain type of food because it's drummed down their throat because of the cost differential because actually there is no government that's saying these things are actively bad for you like they would do with alcohol or smoking I'm afraid, you know, the health warning should be there. That's my opinion. That's not the view of CNBCs, by the way. Slightly different approach to this. The impact on the Danish economy, it's had an enormous impact on the amount yes, of money has. flooding across yes, to Denmark, which has meant that you've seen the krona being manipulated to an extent because of the US dollar sales converted back into krona. Krona is pegged to the euro. So as a result, the central bank keeping interest rates lower in Denmark to try and manage the currency. I think uh, whipping the, the economy into shape to an extent with the revenue. Like, like, uh, um, Taylor Swift coming to town or exactly. Beyonce coming to town. It's exactly the same phenomenon. Amazing. Maybe slightly more sustainable because it's not like pop music. It kind of won't come in and out. Imagine Beyonce's around, going to be around forever, isn't she? Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show. Weekdays on CNBC.